Well, we are living in the last days. And I, I praise God that we at least have, if, if not for the amount of time that we can enjoy it, but at least a little move of God across our nation of having abortion, Roe versus Wade overturned. And many people will say, well, that's, that's really neat. Us Christians, we want, a, we want a victory. Well, yes, we did. But there are a lot of unborn children that will now be born and have the opportunity to hear the Word of God, to fulfill the purposes and plans that He has for them. So that is a, that is a wonderful victory for the body of Christ, wonderful victory for all of those unborn children that don't have a voice at that moment in time because they're still in the womb. They can be given life. Now, we still know that it is turned over to the power of the state, so they still have that choice and that liberty to, to make that call. But there will be a lot more babies born, even though it's not their fault they come into the world. It's because two adults couldn't keep their pants on and act correctly, in, in situations like that especially, because a lot of what I have seen has all been, well, now they're going to have to deal with unwanted pregnancies. Well, if you didn't if you kept your pants on, be an adult, and be mature about things, then you wouldn't have that problem to begin with. Well, well, what's that got to do with us, Pastor? Well, it all boils down to teaching and discipling our kids, discipling those around us in the Word of God, and teaching them the Spirit of God, the standard of God, and teaching this at home. Because many people have laid aside their Christian faith, laid aside the standard, the Word of God, and have adapted themselves to culture and saying, well, you can go have sex if you want to, just make sure it's protected. I actually heard that come out of a man's mouth here in this town and in this county. I told my kids if they wanted to go have sex, they could. They just need to wrap it up. Good job, Dad. It's a good way to send your kids to hell. So with that kind of attitude, we understand that the basic principles of Christianity are no longer taught within the home in many homes. Now, praise God, there are a remnant of houses that still stand on the Word of God, that still preach the Word of God, that still show their kids and all of those in their home what the standard of God looks like. But as we are already in, we're not approaching, we are in these last days, we must practice Christianity at home. And we cannot back down from it. Because what it looks like is you have things like Roe versus Wade where it was set in, you know, in the 70s. But now you have so many people that have been steeped in the culture of, well, I can have sex and then if I don't want this baby, I can go abort it. That has become the culture. So now you have all of these feminists, you have all of these people that get upset because now they're saying, well, it's my body and my choice, and now they've taken that away from me. It was your body, your choice, now you have to deal with the repercussions and consequences of it. So I don't know why we keep circling back to that, so I don't know, maybe that's for somebody, I'm not sure. But I will also say, having an abortion is an easy way to get a demon. Because it's murder. Now, for those that were 
pagan, did not have the teachings of Christ, did not have the teaching of the gospel or the word of God that, that were ignorant in that degree and were raised in this culture to say it's okay, there can be a freedom and liberty from that and wisdom that comes with the word of God, with understanding of culture, just because it's culture does not mean it's correct. But many people find themselves ignorant to the things of God because Christianity is not practiced at home. Oh, but we go to church on Sunday morning, but you don't practice God at home. That is what makes this religion, this region so dangerous is because of religion. That's why you'll find many people go to church, but not many people walk with God. Now, you go any other place in the United States or any other place in the world, they're going to have their own sets of issues, their own sets of demons, things of that nature. But for here, especially in the Bible Belt, in, in the South, we would say, there are many things that we say, oh, well, we, we, we're Christian, we know God. But yet, it's because they, in their mind, they think they're okay with God because they can check something off and then move on about their life and live the way they want to, and it's not accurate. We've got to practice Christianity at home. So the word practice means to carry out. So the word practice means to carry out. It means to apply. <laughs> Many times I'll say, Lord, help us to understand the word, help us to apply it to our life. Other words, help us to practice the word. Practice also means to do. It also means to perform habitually. Perform habitually. Now, habitually means you're in a habit of it. You do it. It's just a habit. It's just a natural habit. You know, like I tell often myself, when I preached a couple of Wednesday nights ago at Engrafted Word, well, I, I know their routines. I know their, their customs of how they do things, you know, of, of doing, you know, uh, visitor packs, and then they do, you know, offering envelopes, things of that nature. They have their routine because it's the way they, or they have their process of their service. Well, I get up there, and I'm used to the way we're doing things. Now, if I would have done that before I was pastor here, I could fill in, just walk right in and do exactly what my pastor does. But because I'm used to our routine now, this is my habit. That This is where I'm telling off of myself, I didn't ask for the visitor packs. Anybody to raise your hand for the visitor pack. Why? Because that wasn't my habit now. So, now, did I get in trouble? No, because it wasn't that big of a deal. But I realized once I started talking about tithes and offerings, I started going about my process of what we're used to doing. I realized, wait a minute, I skipped a step that they're used to doing because of my habit. So what's it got to do with this? If we're not in a habit of walking with our God, we're not practicing our Christianity So in, at home. So anybody that's under us, anybody that's in our home will not practice Christianity. Because it's not the habit that is set before them. That's like I can tell, you know, some of, some of my disciples and especially my kids, some of them, they'll say, we ask all these things in the holy, sweet, precious name of Jesus. And I smile because I know exactly where they got that from. Whether it's my children or a disciple of mine, I know exactly where they got it because they've been listening to me. They've been listening to their discipler. But if that wasn't my habit, whatever my habit would be, that would rub off on them. So that precedent, that habit that is set before them, that's what they pick up. So we must practice Christianity at home. 
Amen. So now, last definition of practice means work at repeatedly. To work at repeatedly. Not a one and done. You got to repeat it. You got to keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. That's why football teams, they get this. They have practice. When? Every day. Professional teams, they have practice almost every day. Anything you want to get good at, you practice. Oh, no, wait a minute, preacher. I don't, my Christianity, I practice it enough on Sunday morning while you're talking to me. If that's as far as you want to go, that's as far as your Christianity and your walk with God will advance. So we practice at what we want to perfect. Oh, that reminds me of Ephesians 4. When the fivefold ministers are given to perfect the saints, that means you perfect them, you mature them. That means they should be practicing the things the fivefold ministers give them to raise them up, to help them to be mature Christians, to help them excel, to help them to do what God wants them to do. You know, I, when I you know, first felt the calling to preach, I kind of ran from it. I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Lord, I don't want to do that. And then finally I got tired of arguing with the Lord and kind of fighting with Him. So I said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. So now... My habit, my custom is the Lord says, I want you to do this. I need you to do this. All right, Lord. Why? Because my habit changed of saying, all right, I'm going to do this. or I'm going to argue with God because I don't want to do it. To now I do it because I know better. Why? Because I practiced following and listening and obeying God. So I know that if, I'll, if I'm going to argue with him, if I'm going to fuss and fight with him, I'm going to have to wind up doing it one way or the other. Or I'm just going to be stunted in what I'm doing. I'm going to be stunted in my growth. Amen. So let's look at the book of Haggai. Not Hey Guy, like Hey, like Hey Guy, the prophet. Amen. Chapter one. Hey Guy, chapter one. We're going to start at verse three. Hey guys, in the, as Dr. Barclay would say, the clean white pages of your Bible. It's not where many people go. But I am a word guy, so we cover the whole Bible. We'll make our way around some, way, some time or another. We'll make it through all of the Bible. Amen. So Haggai chapter 1, verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, or we would say paneled houses, and this house, or the temple, lie waste. So the word of the Lord is already coming by Haggai. And the Lord is saying, Is it time for you to live in your nice houses while my house is in ruins? Alright, well, pastor, this is the house of God. It's all nice. It's all neat. I don't see any construction need to be done. But what about the temple of God that's supposed to be our house? The temple of God that's supposed to be us? Because notice, he didn't say, well, your house is desolate too, and the house of God is desolate. No, he said, you live in nice houses. Means they've been focused on building their kingdom and letting the kingdom of God dwindle down and be in ruins. How that relates to us is many times we'll build up our home, we'll build up the things that we want to do, and we allow the word of God, the kingdom of God, especially in our homes and our lives, to lie desolate, to lie in ruins. 
Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lying waste? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. This is the Lord saying, you might want to think about this. It's like the Lord saying, hey, think about this. Pay attention. Think about this. Consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Consider it. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. You drink, but ye are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. So in other words, the Lord's calling them out. He says, your houses and everything you do, you're trying to build it up, but everything you do is not satisfying you. Everything you're doing, there's nothing is satisfying you. You sow, but you only bring in a little bit. You eat, but you're still hungry. You drink, but you're not filled. You clothe, but it doesn't keep you warm. You earn wages, but there's a hole in your bag. So everything you're doing, everything you're trying to do, it's not filling you. It's not satisfying you. Why? Because they have built their sealed houses and let the house of God lie waste. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Uh-oh. It's twice that the Lord has, think about your ways. Think about what you're doing. Verse 8. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house or build the temple. And I will take pleasure in it. So now God's giving them a choice. Look, here, here is your day of choice. You can, you've been doing this. It hasn't satisfied you. But now I'm giving you the option. Go gather the wood. Go up to the mountain and build the temple. Build the house of God. He says, if you do this, I will take pleasure in you. You will make my heart glad. You'll make me have a joy. You'll make me, you'll make me smile upon you. There'll be pleasure that I find in you. And then he says, and I will be glorified because you have built my house. I'll be glorified is what God is telling them, saith the Lord. Verse 9, you looked for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste or my house that is in ruins. And ye run every man into his own house. So the Lord's telling him, he says, you looked for much and it came to little. You looked for a lot, but you only got a little. And when you brought it home, you did blow up on it. You blew it away. You squandered it. Because he says, I did blow up on it. Because the Lord says, all right, you're not going to honor me with it. You know, if you, if you trace it back far enough, you'll probably, you'll probably understand the saying of where somebody says, well, I just blew it. I blew it. I blew my chance. That's exactly what God did here. He blew on it. Went, because everything we do to honor us gets blown away. It, gets, it doesn't satisfy but the Lord says, why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is in waste. He says, nothing you do will be built up and receive satisfaction, so to speak, because you've allowed my house 
to sit in ruins. You haven't built my house, so I won't allow you to build yours. That's the danger in not practicing Christianity at home. Because if we build up God's house, He's faithful. Just as like that verse that I've said a thousand times now, being pastor, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, means you're building His kingdom, you're doing things for Him, he says, and all these things will be added unto you. So everything you have need of, follow suit. Why? Because you've given him his first. It's like the tithe. That's the reason we call it the 10%. What part of, part, I think what we as Americans have left off is it's the first fruits. It's not the last 10%. It's the first 10%. And when we bring that to God and we say, Father, here I'm giving this unto you. This is the first fruits of my income this is the first fruits of what i have this is the beginning of what i have and we give it to him the rest of that 90 percent lines up and goes much further because we've honored him with the first why do you think christians establish sunday as a day of worship and it's the first day of the week you give him the first day of the week and then the rest of your week is blessed because you honored him in the very first day but see, people don't see it that way. They say, well, it's Sunday. That's, just the first. That's my lazy day. That's where I get to do what I want to. And then the rest of the week, i got to work. No, the first day is to honor God. And then the rest of it is blessed because we've spent time honoring God on His day. Amen. Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew. It withholds the dew. He's saying, everywhere that you're at, because you don't honor me, I will give no dew. There won't be any ounce of dew. You know, of course, you know, being in the summer and things like that, summer and the fall, we understand we get up in the morning, there's dew everywhere. If you get up early enough, not if you sleep until like, you know, 12 or 1 or 2, you won't see it because it'll be long gone. But if you get up early enough in the summertime, especially, you'll see the dew on the grass. What is that? That is the resting of or <laughs> precipitation on the ground at nighttime. God says, I won't even give you that because you don't honor me. And the earth is stayed from her fruit. And the earth withholds its fruit. Is what my Bible says. It has a footnote there. So that means that even the, even the earth withholds its fruit. It's saying anything that's around you won't be blessed because you haven't built up my house. Amen. We should not neglect the things of God. We should not neglect the things of God. We say, well, well Pastor, I'm, you know, I'm here for services. I'm here for this. I'm here for that. But what are you doing at home? Because this is the easy part. You can come, you can smile, you can you know, say hi to everybody, shake everybody's hand, love on everybody. That's easy. Because there's no tension, there's no disunity here. This is where everybody loves each other, comes, and we you know, we know we'll see each other for a couple hours and we all go home. It's easy to love somebody like that. But it's when you're at home. It's when we get in our own routine, we get in our own our own kingdom, so to speak. How much does God really mean to you there? Because that is your walk with God. This isn't. 
This is where you come, you feed from the trough, you get watered, you get what you have need from your pastor if you pay attention and apply it to your life. But then you go home and that is your walk with God. Because walking with God is, is, of course, it's Sunday to Sunday, we get that, but it's truly Monday through Saturday. Because that tells off on how much you love God and how much you walk with Him. Let's look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Verse 18. And when he, Jesus, was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Now this is the Gadarene demoniac. He's just been set free from all these demons, the legion of demons. So now he's trying to go with Jesus. He's trying to get in the boat with him that he might go with Jesus wherever he's going. But verse 19 says, Howbeit Jesus suffered him, or Jesus did not permit him, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends. He said, Go home. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion, hath had compassion on thee. So what's he telling him? He's telling him, don't follow me right now. Don't go physically with me. Go home and tell everybody what I've done for you. Go home and use that as your testimony to, to tell of what Jesus has done, what I've done, what I've set you free from, the interaction that you've had with me. Go home and let that be your testimony, that you tell everybody, that you become an instant evangelist. You begin to tell about the goodness of God and how He can set free, how He can do things in your life. So He didn't say, well, I don't want you to follow me as a Christian. I don't want you to you know, do this, do this. He said, I, want you, I need you to go home. I need you to go home and tell everybody. So how, how much could our homes be changed if we went home and told of the goodness of God and we talked about how much God has blessed us, how much God's done for us, and then we lived out, we practiced our Christianity at home? How much better would our marriages be? How much better would our finances be? How much better would our kids, our grandkids, great-grandkids, how much better would everything around us, how much more powerful could we evangelize to our neighbors and win them to God? But if you don't practice it at home, they say, oh, so-and-so, they go to church on Sunday, but yet they drink on the weekends. Yet they, and I see these odd people coming over and they walk out all stumbling like a bunch of bumbling idiots. I hear yelling, I hear cussing, I hear fighting. But if you practice Christianity at home, you practice your walk with God at home, then people will say, you know what? There is something different about them. You know what? I hear, I hear a lot of praise music coming out of their house. I hear a lot of praying and screaming at the devil and telling him to go to hell. I don't know what all that's about. But it begins when you practice it at home, when you walk anywhere that you walk, you know that God is with you. Why? Because you haven't set Him on a shelf at church and then picked Him back up the next Sunday. You take Him with you wherever you go, and that's your God, and you practice being His servant. You practice being part of His kingdom. But our lives at home should reflect what God has done for us. Now, I know the Great Commission says to go ye therefore, yes. But how can you go ye if you don't live ye? 
<laughs> makes you a hypocrite. If you go ye and talk about all the things that God can do for them, but yet you don't live it at home. Makes you no different than the Sadducees, no different than the Pharisees. Makes you just a religious person, which is exactly what this region is full of. People go to church, oh, they'll talk about how good God is, how much God loves them, how much they love God, but if they go home, He's the last thing they think about. He's the last one they talk to. He's the last one that they read His book. Yet they'll read Fifty Shades of Grey, but they won't read the Holy Word of God. They'll feed some idea of fornication, adultery, or whatever, of sexual pleasure, but they won't find the intimacy with God. I'm preaching a lot better than y'all are amening. <laughs> well, since that went over so well, let's look at Luke 15. Luke 15. We must practice our Christianity at home. We must carry it out at home. We must apply it at home. We must do it at home. Perform it habitually at home. We must work it repeatedly. So Luke 15, verse 3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Well, Pastor, that's a parable of, of the, the person going after one lost sheep. Yeah, but guess what? That one lost sheep, even though he had the 99, still all where they need to be, that one thing that meant so much to this shepherd, when God answered that prayer, he went home. He didn't say, well, I'm glad that worked out, and then turned on the TV. No, no, no. He went home, gathered all of his friends, all of his neighbors, everybody around him and said, I want to tell you about what my God has done. I want to tell you about the one small thing that was out of sorts. The one thing I thought I had lost. But yet God answered my prayer. God gave me wisdom. God helped me and brought this one thing back to remembrance. It brought this one thing back to my house where I can rejoice and testify of how much God loves and how much God is as a restorer of things. How much God has done for me. And I want you to know about it because I'm not going to be quiet about it. I want to tell you about how good my God is and how you can experience that goodness of God too. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. He said, this is a time that we can come together and celebrate the things of God. Instead of going, well, waving at your neighbor. Well, you enjoy your beer and your TV. I got to go to church. That's not a rejoicing. That's not a testimony of God. When, if that's the very same neighbor that you go to like a week or two later and say, how would you like to go to church with me? No, I've seen you walk out of here with a sourpuss face and I get to sit here and do what I want to. I'm not going with that with you. Hmm. 
Amen. But if we practice our Christianity at home, we'll have something to rejoice about. We'll know the goodness of God. We'll know the things of God. And not only will it it be in our house, but it will overflow into our property. The people around us begin to say, you know what? Mm, There's something different about those people. You know, there's a there's a one of our neighbors that walks back and forth, and what he, he has you know usually his dog with him, and he'll walk out. And every time I see him, I'm always waving, always smile. And there's times if I get the opportunity to actually talk to him, you know, most of the time he'll have you know a sad not a sad story, but something kind of weighing on his heart, and he'll talk about it. But every time I get to see him, you know, I, I approach him with the joy of the Lord, because I want him to see. Not that I'm putting on a facade. I want him to see there's joy in serving God. Because he moved from this region from another area that was widely pagan. But when he comes to, you know, anytime he, I get around him, anytime he's around me, I try to show him that joy of the Lord. To say, you know what? It doesn't have to weigh on your heart like this. It doesn't have to be that kind of story. It doesn't have to stress you out or worry you. But there is a God there's a God that can break all of that worry and stress off of you. That if you lift up your hands and lift up your heart to Him, He can, he can take all of that away and be a blessing unto you to help you. But all you got to do is serve Him and love Him, and He'll give you joy, He'll give you peace, He'll give you hope. But you can't testify of that if you don't have it to begin with. And you can't testify of that if you've just went off on Him, told Him how of a how his mother was a dog and how he has no daddy and all these other things. And then a couple of days later, you want to give him the gospel. Our home should be the first place of declaration of what God has done in our lives. If God has done anything for us, our home life should show it. What has God done for you? I'm asking a serious question. What has God done for you? You don't have to answer me. It's a rhetorical question. But I want you to think about what God has done for you. And does your home show it? Did you have a family member that almost died and God brought them back to life? Were you on the, were you on the verge of bankruptcy, but yet God, God helped you and supplied that need? Was somebody very sick and yet God healed? Did you almost lose a job, but yet you had to keep it? How is our lives reflecting the glory of God? Because I'll tell you, anything you do for the kingdom of God, if you do it at home, you'll come prepared at church for it. If you pray at home, praying at church is easy. If you study the Word of God at home, studying the Word of God here is easy. If you worship God at home, worshiping God here is easy. If you're friendly at home, being friendly here is easy. It's a religious Sunday morning in the South. You know, for a second there, I thought y'all went Church of Christ on me. I thought, no, 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 no. Abundant Grace Church, no, they won't go Church of Christ on me. I'll at least get a couple of amens. And we've already had music. We've already had music, so we're definitely not Church of Christ, like full-blown. But whatever you do, if you want to be effective 
Do it at home, and when you go anywhere else, it becomes easier. Because at home is where all the distractions are. Because you got the kids, you got the TV, you got all this other stuff, you got bills, you got this, you got this, this has got to be clean, that's got to be clean, this needs to be organized. But when you come, if you, if you can set aside time at home and practice your Christianity at home, then coming here, it's easy because all the distractions should be put away. So I've been, I've been doing this at home. Praise God. Let's go in the house of God and do it. It's like praying. You know, as we said, praying at home, when you get in that routine of praying at home, you can come into the house of God. We, we do our you know, Sunday morning pre-service prayer at 9. We pray for 20 minutes. Or if we do a noon prayer, if we do you know, a second Sunday night prayer when we come together and pray, we usually pray for an hour. You pray at home, coming on that Sunday night feels like nothing. Because that hour passes by so quick because you're used to praying at home. And you're like, oh man, that was the quickest hour I've ever seen in my life. But if you don't do it at home, oh, when's... Oh, When's this hour going to be up? Oh, my word. I'm so hungry. I got Matlock to watch. I got this and that to do. Oh, my word. You tell off on yourself. Or if you don't worship at home, you come to the house of God and begin to worship. By the time you finally enter into the God's presence and begin to worship, we're done. That's what I thought. Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let us look at verse 33. Y'all want to get religious? I'll get religious. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. And the word of the Lord says... No, I can't do that. I can't keep a straight face and do that. <laughs> For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Oh, wait a minute. What, what do you mean confusion there, Pastor? Confusion, as in you act like you love God here, but go home and yet you're confused because apparently you don't love Him there. So God's like, I'm not the author of that. Where would that come from? I'm not confused in my relationship with you. I'm supposed to be your God, but yet you declare I'm your God in one place. In another place, you're taking my name in vain. There's some confusion there, but God's not the author of that. He's the author of peace. Peace. You know, as in, peace be still. Peace be still. That means when God is in the house, whether it be here or your house, there should be peace. Does that mean that there won't be those issues that try to arise? But no, you command God. You, well, not command God. You command the Word of God into that situation and you say, peace be still in the name of Jesus. And peace comes. Why? Because you've been spending time with God. You've been in His Word. You've been talking to Him in prayer. You've been worshiping. And then He answers to bring peace. So if you don't worship God, you don't practice your Christianity at home, you can declare peace. And God's like, mm, I don't know. You haven't talked to me in a while. It's kind of like calling somebody that, that you know. You haven't, let's say you haven't spoken to them and we'll play, we'll play devil's advocate. We'll say you haven't talked to them in a month. We could say a couple of years, but we'll say a month. You haven't talked to them in a month and all of a sudden you want to say, 
hey, so-and-so, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I really want you to buy me this expensive gift. And you know, I, I don't want it like a month from now. I need it like right now. I need you to come to my house and bring it to me like right now. That's the way we treat God. God, you're not good enough for me to worship. God, you're not good enough for me to pray to. God, you're not good enough for me to study your word. But I want your peace in my house. I want your prosperity in my house. I want you to touch my life and to bless it. But you're not worth my time. You're not worth my effort. You're not worth anything that I would need to put towards you to prove that you're my God. That's confusion. God's not the author of it. God says, if you love the world, you love culture, you love the things of the world, you're my enemy. I would rather know I practice Christianity at home. Don't, I don't have it perfected. I don't want it to sound like, oh, pastor's got it all figured out. He's 100% perfect. No, I'm not. I, as early as I think this morning, told Miss Tiffany a couple of things, said, yeah, I need to work on this. And work on this as a husband and work on this as a father. And work on this as a man. Because the day we reach perfection, as in we've got it all figured out, is the day we will be on heaven's shore. But here's the difference. You practice Christianity at home means you're repeatedly doing it. You're repeatedly doing it. You don't just quit. You don't give up because we're not those who draw back. We're not of those who quit. We keep doing it. We keep doing it. We don't grow weary in well-doing. We keep doing it. We keep doing it. We keep doing it because we know that there's blessing in the doing. There's not blessing in the just talking about it. There's blessing in the doing. But God is not the author of confusion. But He's the author of peace. As in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches. Now, I've heard this verse taken out of context so many times, it's not even funny. So let me give you some cultural things we talked about this in sunday school a couple weeks ago when people pull things out of context the proper context of this is that the women were asking their husbands questions while the service was going on now is the questions wrong no not at all as we've also talked about questions bring about answers which brings about understanding which can help but if you're interrupting what God's trying to do at that moment in time, the timing is wrong. It may not even be the content. It may not even be the action. It's the timing. The right thing at the wrong time is still wrong. Amen. But with this, it says, Let your, let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience which is under submission, as also saith the law. He's saying when, when somebody is up ministering or the, church, or the service is going on, everybody's to be you know, quiet, everybody's to understand, not like church of Christ quiet, but like quiet as in not interrupting the service. We understand that. But there's a proper time and place to carry out you know, conversations and ask questions and things that to learn. But verse 35 and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Not a shame for them to speak, period. A shame to interrupt the service to ask a question. We'll make sure we're on the same page on that. So what does that mean, Pastor? That means that Bible studies should be going on at home. 
As in like when we talked about this morning, in Sunday school, you take notes. You write down questions that you may have. That way when you get home, you can have a Bible study. Wives and husbands talk together, talk about the Word of God. But you have any questions? Did you have any questions? What would they talk about? They talk about the Word of God, talk about the Scripture, talk about any questions. And if they can't reach you know, an answer, then maybe call or text or email or whatever, talk to in person, the pastor. But there's a proper time and a proper place for it. But Bible study should be going on at home. That's part of practicing Christianity. Because I don't know if you know it or not, but part of Christianity is studying the Bible, praying, worshiping God, and being in His house. Four things. Four things. A monkey could do these four things. Not, not, I'm not saying that to insult your intelligence. I'm saying God made it so easy for man, for even a child to understand the plan of salvation and for a child to be able to do this, to walk with Him and to grow in the things of God. God says, I'm not going to make it as difficult where you've got to have a doctorate just to understand anything I'm saying for you to get to heaven. He said, I'm going to make it so easy that anybody can do this if they want to. There's a difference in saying it and a difference in wanting to. But verse 36, what came the word of, the, of God out of you or came it only or came it unto you only? So he would say, what came the word of God originally from you or it came unto you? So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church here and what he's saying in this verse is he's saying what? He said, did you have the the Word of God originally, did it originally come from you? Or did it come unto you? He's saying, did God give you the Word of God to you only? Or is the Word of God being given to you for you to understand? So we know the answer to that is the Word of God comes unto us. Because God has given His Word so it comes unto us for us to understand, to us to learn, for us to study, and then apply it to our life that we may grow in the things of God. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Last verse. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's start at verse 12. So while you're turning there, we know that we're to build the house of God and He will help build ours. Can't get that out of order. We know that we're to use our home as a testimony of what God has done for us. We're to practice the things of God at home and let our life reflect the things that He's done. Let our home reflect the things that He's done. Not just in your decor, but in your mannerisms, in your lifestyle, it should reflect what God has done for you. But we know God is not the author of confusion, so we should be decided. Come, come brings back what the Lord had told, told me on Friday night. We're to be decided. We're to be faithful. We're to be determined. But that we should also have Bible study at home to understand the Word of God and for our family to understand the Word of God. I can't tell you how many times we've been at the dinner table and all of a sudden one of the kids just pop out a question about the Bible or about the things of God and that leads into a 30-45 minute discussion that, that if my natural mind 
would take over. I would say, man, I've got to hurry this up because I've got to go do this. I've got to go do that. I've got, to, I've got this deadline. I've got this you know, timeline. And meanwhile, lose my very kids to the God I say that I love and I serve. But instead, I would rather make up the time because if you haven't noticed, God's Word says He's a redeemer of the time. Means any time you spend for Him, He will redeem if you're willing to sacrifice it in the beginning. So He's a redeemer of the time. So there's been multiple conversations. Probably some of our best discussions has been at that table and having it in those brief moments to where it's that, that opportunity where one of the kids opened the door with a question that they're thinking about. And not only does it benefit that kid, but it benefits the whole family because we're all sitting there together. Now, is that ideal? Yes. For some families, that's hard to do. But we should strive to make those moments and make those opportunities for discipleship and for training the best that we can. But that looks like us practicing our Christianity at home. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth or look down upon thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word. So notice, Paul is telling Timothy, let no one despise you because, of your young, because you're young, but be an example to the believers in word, in conversation, we would say lifestyle, in charity, means in love, in spirit, not being super spooky like super spiritual, as in, oh, God talks to me every day, every day, all day long, 24-7, 365 and a half days a year, a quarter days a year. No, that would be unrealistic. But by that, we say we follow the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We do what the Spirit wants us to do. We're led by God's Spirit. But we also, we don't try to put on a show as if we're spiritual. We truly allow God to lead us, and He will manifest, and He will do things. Because we can't be, like, like I've said, this, this region is super religious, so it wants, especially the Pentecostal circles and the non-denominational circles, they want to glorify everything that's a, ooh, it's a, ooh, it's a goosebump. No, you're standing under the fan. Oh, I got the, I got the jerks. No, you, had, you probably had a spasm because you're standing on one leg for too long. Now, does that negate everything? No, not at all. Catch the heart of what I'm saying. God will move, and you'll know it's God. There won't be any question about it. But we can't put on a facade as, as, as if everything is so super spooky spiritual that every little goose pimple is God. If we truly walk with God, we'll know and He'll confirm it. Because even the Word says that He'll confirm His Word with signs and wonders. He confirms everything He does. Amen. So there's no question about it. We have no choice but to say that was God. Amen. But in spirit and in faith, how would you like to follow a faithless person? No, that's a no-go. We all must have faith because that's what it takes to please God. But here's another thing. Faith is the first part of being faithful. Full of faith. So that means when you're faithful, you are there because you're in faith of saying, I'm here. I don't know how I'm here. I'm barely standing up. I'm barely walking, but I'm here. Praise God. It's the, there's been times where I've walked in, maybe on a Thursday night or something like that. I'm like, praise God, I'm here. Thought I'd never get here. 
Seemed like work would never end, but praise God, I'm here. We're going to conduct this service. Praise God, He's going to show up and He's going to manifest and we're just going to go about our business and do what He wants to do. Because of that faith, because of that faithfulness, God honors that. Amen. I'm not going to say when, but there was one Thursday night a few weeks ago. I come in, I was like, Lord, I don't know what you want me to preach on. I don't know what you want done. But Lord, you see my heart. You've seen my day. I've tried to study, but nothing was settling. I don't know what was going on. So I just kept praying and kept seeking the Lord, kept trying to figure it out. Come in. I mean, like walking up here to do announcements. The Lord gave me some scriptures. I wrote them down. We had one of the most anointed services in a while. And it wasn't because I had it all figured out and had it all planned. No, because I said, Lord, you see I'm faithful. You see I'm here. I'm here. Lord, you've seen everything. I've tried to put my hand here. I've tried to study it. But Lord, I just rely on you. And he answers that. He answers faithfulness. He answers that kind of faith. But it takes us putting that forward for him to answer. If you never put the call out, nobody can ever answer. But also be that example in purity. To be pure, to be holy. Not perfect, but pure. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. What is that? That's just practicing Christianity. And neglect not the gift that is in thee. Do you know that every one of you have a gift of God on the inside of you? And God wants you to use it for His kingdom. But if you neglect it, if you don't use it, if you don't practice it and use it in the house of God, then He can't use that because you're withholding from Him. If you haven't noticed, we're a body of believers. And if you withhold something, like, like if you take an arm and it withholds blood, the rest of the body is going to feel it. But there's eventually going to come a time where the head, Jesus Christ, says, you know what? I'm tired of that hand. I'm tired of that arm holding everything, holding all the nutrients in the blood from, that, from the rest of the body. Whoosh! Like a samurai sword. And then guess what happens? The blood starts circulating again. The blood starts circulating because the body needs to survive. Now, that's when you start praying, all right, arm, come on, you can do it. Come on, get your act together. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And we'll reattach you. Come on, all you got to do, all you got to do is just get things in order and you can be reattached and just come on, you can do it. Because we've all seen, I don't know if you've seen it in person or not, I've seen a couple of times, where somebody gets something cut off and what do you do? You grab it and you try to do the best you can to put that thing back on so it can survive. Because without the rest of the body, that one body part will not survive. But the rest of the body will survive without that one body part. So it's up to us to be able to flow and to use our gifts. Because the reason I say that is because we all have a gift. And if we don't use our gift the way God wants us to, if we're not doing what He's called us to do, then God will send a replacement. And it won't be fun. But God's going to do what He has to do to keep His body going. But neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given by thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. 
So he's saying, you've, you've been through all of these things. You've been through every step of this process. You've been prophesied over. You've had hands laid on you. You've been through all of this, so don't neglect that. Don't give up on that gift. Do what you need to do. But it says, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. To what? To reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, to being an example in word and conversation, lifestyle and charity, spirit, faith and purity. But give yourself wholly to them. Means completely. That, that thy profiting or thy progress may appear to all. But take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. That would be, you know, if anybody has a gift and they know that they're going to do things for God, that'd be like, you know, going, going home and not using that gift, not practicing that gift, not doing it at home, and then going, you know, somewhere and, and just doing it on the spot. As one thing I did learn from, from Pastor Chris when I was on the praise and worship team in Gravity Word, as he told us, he said, do not wing it. Don't let that be in your vocabulary. Don't wing anything for God. Because there was times we didn't get to practice or we, you know, something would come up or whatever. We'd get there on Sunday morning, run through like, you know, a couple of songs, and then the other songs, we just had to wing it. And that was not a no-go. Or that was a no-go. <laughs> not a no-go. That was too negative. So that means it's positive. Anyway. That was not the way that the kingdom's supposed to work. We're, we were supposed to practice at home, get everything together, come to the house of God, join all the pieces together, and then worship as a unit, as a team, in service. I could definitely tell if I had a busy week and we were learning a new song and everybody else had practiced and I come in and didn't, I could tell it. And I felt, I felt ashamed of it. I was like, man, I... And it, and it hurt my heart. So what I do? I went home and I drilled that song. I went home. Now, they do practice, you know, on a regular basis, so don't get me wrong. We do that too. But it was that attitude of, of just, because if we're not careful, especially in this religious region, we'll wing the things of God thinking, oh, God will show up. God will take care of it. And we go into his house, and if everybody had that same attitude, we would get nothing of God. God would say, oh, you're going to wing it for me? Well, I'm just not going to show up. And then it becomes a religious act, which is how you get different denominations, how you get different churches on some degree, because they, they want to be religious and not walk with God. So we must practice our Christianity at home, and it makes it easier as we step outside of those four walls, and even when we come into the house of God, it makes our walk with God even easier here because we've taken the time to do it at home. When, all, when everything is bombarding you, your mind or everything at home is bombarding you and trying to take your time and your focus, because you do it there, you can go anywhere else and say, Lord, I've spent time with you today. I've spent time in prayer with you. So, Lord, I'm, I'm asking you to help me. You've, you want me to evangelize this person. I've spent time with you, so, all right, Lord, help me. Or, Lord, you want me to do this, you want me to do that. Lord, I, you know, I've been spending time with you today, so help me. It makes it that much easier when we practice Christianity at home. Amen.